Hey guys, welcome to the Black Party Podcast. Me and Chris sat down this episode and we discussed some underlying concepts behind Web3. Uh, we also talked about the Ethereum naming service as well as the Solana naming service or ENS or SNS for short, which recently just dropped their individual tokens. Uh, we discussed some concepts behind Web3 and why it is a superior version to Web2, which, we, uh, which currently dominates the internet. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and as always stay locked and stay tuned we will have more content coming out all right block party is a tech culture podcast we do tech for the people we cover topics ranging from cryptocurrencies blockchain augmented reality artificial intelligence and more our guests include entrepreneurs creatives and influencers block party takes a unique view of tech through the lens of the people living it block party is tech culture so how does it work oh by the way guys what's the point of all this essentially like why why are people doing this the aim of the decentralized naming service is to help with censorship resistance so that no one person company or government can block ban or delete you when you pair this up with decentralized back-end hosting like rweave or ipfs you will reach 100 censorship resistant and laser beams will shine out of your eyes lucky you have your pit viper shades so basically um Oh, Pit Viper. That's the gamer. That's the gamer glasses. Yeah. Let, let's let's yeah. just let's let let's really break it down to what is the forward movement for the internet and what is our current internet today. So basically, for people who aren't aware, a lot of what you use today, Google, uh, going to Amazon.com, YouTube.com, Facebook, anything major that you use today is hosted on servers. These servers are hosted by these major large data companies, Google and Amazon being the largest, Oracle. All these companies host your internet, meaning that they control your data. The ad revenue that they get from your data is on their side, even though it's your data. A lot of the stuff that you participate in is controlled by very, very few conglomerates, very, very few billion dollar industries, conglomerates. So compare that to Web 3.0 and what everybody understands about consensus and blockchain as a whole it's being held by all of us the internet or web 3.0 in general is decentralized across multiple nodes all around the world that is hosted by you and me so your data you're in control of and you can actually uh control who and how your data is being used there are multiple projects right now acting on that but essentially it falls down to there's nobody no central body controlling your data. Pretty interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah, and you know the the stuff we were talking about earlier today. So people like maybe maybe, maybe they want like a more in depth um, understanding of how this is working together. It's really not any different than Web two. It's just that again, 
there's no central arbiter controlling all this information. And, and if they do want to have access to your information, you also have the option, you know, to allow them to do so. So you, you can select what, what they can and don't have act what they can or cannot have access to. And on the bright side, a lot of these um, frameworks, let's call them, like, for instance, you know, uh, there's YouTube for video, there's ENS for, you know, naming services, um, there might be, um, you know, a gaming, uh, Web3 gaming um, site, a browser, etc. Or having access to your information, you know, you get compensated, typically in the native tokens. So, you know, let's say you spend a lot of time watching advertisements, the Brave browser right now rewards you in bat tokens. And that's uh, the basic attention token. I, I don't, I forget what their ticker is. BAT. BAT. So BAT. So, oh yeah, that makes sense. So, um, so, you know, you, you, there, there's some compensation versus what we currently have. The current model is that, you know, you essentially, uh, willingly give up your, your information, your data, and then these conglomerates use your data to essentially target ads and services to you. And you don't get compensated in any way, but they do. Right. Because they're able to barter your information. So they're able to sell your information to other companies that might need it. And it's just basically, you know, a, 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 it's the free for all, you know, for, for them, because they, they get they get most of uh, most of your data. That's why data is so valuable. And that's why data mining became a huge thing. Um, and, and like, like, I think I think a lot of people don't understand, like, like everybody talks about, oh, this person's stealing your data or that person's stealing your data. But people don't really actually understand the power of your data. For let's let's think about this from like an advertising company or a, a business company. A company always wants to know how you are spending your money. Amazon wants to know where you're spending your money, how you, what you're looking at. Are you at Instagram is serving you ads every single day based on what you search because that information is very valuable to their bottom line. So what you look at, are you leaning left? Are you leaning right? Are you more likely to buy this compared to more likely buying that? What time of the day do you buy on? Do you buy on a Thursday? Do you buy on a Friday for these ideas? These data points are so very valuable, but these data points are yours. They belong to you. So you have to really yeah. think about the value of your data to these large companies. Without this data, a majority of these companies are flying blind. But because of modern, like, modern computing and modern science, modern data science a lot of companies know you better than you know you and right. and the data points are the data points themselves like uh, chris mentioned it's basically like you know um one individually and, and it, i definitely fall victim to this I'm, I'm like hey who cares they have my data like I'm, I'm i'm you know useless and yes an individual data point is useless it becomes um lucrative when you have multiple not, not multiple but an aggregate of data points right so you know, you can start to create, not only can you create um, essentially a, a, a marketing demographic, right? So you can, you can target, you know, certain types of people, but you can actually influence uh, entire subsets or entire sub demographics of people by creating this, um, by creating this persona, this marketing persona. So if you have enough data points, you can use this aggregate data to create a marketing persona and then heavily target and influence search results, queries, uh, polls, um, you know, buying behavior, politicians, and you don't know it, you know, you, it's not, it's not like a, you know, like a very, uh, what's the word for it? You transparent. Know, um, yeah, transparent or explicit thing that they're doing. It's just that you just start to 
well, you don't realize, but the, the search results and the buying behavior that, that are being fed to you are, are, are essentially the same exact, you know, mold for, for a bunch of people just like you. They're not exactly like you, but they're similar enough that they can serve you the same types of ads and, and the gotta, same types of You got to really stuff. think about that. They're like two to three billion internet users globally. So yeah. it, you would think like, oh, Amazon would have no way of knowing about you. And that's right. They might not know who you are. They might not know who Chris Wong is. They might not know who Z Gabor is. But they know enough people like us. They know the 30 closest people that would be similar to us. And you got to really think about that. 30 people that they know that closely in a sea of 3 billion internet users. And that number is only growing as modernization and just globalization has advanced and like just the nature of how our society as a whole around the world has developed. So it's it's just very, very pervasive. If if yeah, you're one I, of those I would say in like a darker, yeah, a darker light of it would be like kind of the the way Facebook was influencing the the elections. Maybe unknowingly I'm not gonna like blame Facebook like it's a big evil organization, but like maybe <laughs> unknowingly like they were like, you know, influence because look look at the, you know, the the stuff they were putting out, you know, and it became like a very echo chamber, right? So it became an echo chamber of like either super liberal or super conservative thoughts. And then that, you know, that information was uh sent to different users, right? That that news feed or that curated news feed was sent to different users. And then you have a highly polarized audience, um, whoever's getting their politics from Facebook, which is a lot of people, you know what I mean? It's, it's not a joke. It's, it's a lot of it's people lot getting of people. their political, yeah, political news from Facebook. So you polarize enough people and then you just have an echo chamber of, um, you know, uh, black and white type of a division where no one's really trying to hear each other, right? Because any dissent from the other side in that echo chamber just causes like a huge uproar, right? It just causes a, uh, like, um, you know, and anger, then, and wrath. then think about, and then think about that that idea too. You know, a lot of the media around that period of time in American history, or I guess global history now at this point, was that technology was stifling the freedom of expression. Like the liberal left controlled the tech industry and media, and like Twitter. Facebook, all this was being controlled by the liberal elite in their high castle or something like that. Not that I necessarily believe that. I, I, right. I, just, I like. Well, well I mean, like, look, look, but, look what look. So if you look, if you look at, um, you know, it, it feeds the narrative, right? Like certain events feed the narrative. Like when you look at, um, when you look at Donald Trump getting banned off of Twitter, right? I don't, I don't really necessarily care for politics, Chris. You already know my stance on the sovereign individual. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, but like. Um, and then you have, you know, the Taliban who has Twitter handles and they're like, you know, posting, well, they're actually posting memes, right? Like making fun of, uh, what, you know, Westerners and stuff about the, you know, the recent events in Afghanistan. Um, but you have, I to, mean, you have to, you have to you, really look at that. Like, like the concept that yeah. a, co a, a company can censor, can censor you. Some. Yeah. And, yeah, and I guess that's someone. what web 3.0 really does address because. Like I said earlier before, Web 2.0 is hosted on servers controlled by this company or that company or Company X and this program or that program. And a lot of these com companies got so big, Twitter got so big, Facebook got so big that they are like they, they cannot be divorced from how you actively like participate in the digital layer. 
And that's where Web 3.0 is able to differentiate. It actually returns a lot of that control because on Web 3.0, the individual user has a lot more control in how they engage in that digital layer. It, it, it's very impressive where we are heading. And I, I personally wonder, will these large companies get with the program? Because I only see crypto getting bigger. I only see decentralized ledger technology getting bigger. I see Web 3.0 becoming what Web 2.0 was. I don't see both these protocols living side by side one another. I see at some point in the future, 30 years from now, Soul and ETH having full-on projects. One day you might see YouTube.eth or YouTube.soul or YouTube.cdo or something or whatever, whatever protocol that will exist that will ultimately upend how we interact with the digital layer in our life, with the metaverse. And I, I guess this is a question for you, Z. Um, how do you see the big companies participating in this new marketplace, this new technology? Because we see right now China bans Bitcoin mining. We see Steam banning uh, NFT and crypto-based games on the platform. We see a lot of resistance rather than adoption. But do you ultimately see the tide shifting? Well, I mean, it goes back to like uh, a, a type of a supply and demand. These, these companies, at the end of the day, provide a service that we all need and use. You know, that's the reason they got so big. So whether or not they want to provide it doesn't really matter in terms of um, the, 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 large, the macros, macro perspective, right? Because someone will create it. So if, if, like, um, if Google doesn't want to participate, for instance, in decentralized uh, cloud storage, someone will create it. There's already, there's already a few, right? I think, what was that one? Uh, I forget. I forget who's doing cloud storage, uh, decentralized cloud storage. Someone will do it for Web three. You know, if it's not Google, someone else will do it. Mm -hmm. So it's not a matter of um, whether they want to put. Like this is the future for sure. You know, like it, everything is uh, moving towards decentralized um, protocols, whether it's finance or video or yeah. You mentioned Steam, right? So Valve, you know, recently banned NFTs and crypto from their platforms. And it was sort of like a silent ban, so they didn't, you know, make a big deal about it. But like, basically, it doesn't make any sense for them to have these crypto and NFT projects on their on their platform because they're not making any money on it, on mm -hmm. it, right? Yeah. So why would they do it? But there's already projects right now, and I can, you know, I think I'm going to get invested in this one. It's called Ultra UOS, and basically, what they're doing is what Steam does, except version Web three. Now, a lot of these projects, remember, they're in their infancy. So, like, a lot of stuff that they're currently doing, a lot of projects are uh, are just getting the gist of Web3. So, I'm not saying these services are going to be around, but they're, they're already starting to create, you know, services for, for people who are interested in a Web3 version, right? So, yeah. I mean, my, my view is that, you know, that you either get with the program or you get left behind because that's Web3 is it, you know? I mean, that's been the nature of just business yeah. in America and I guess business globally. Either get with the program. I guess, so I guess what you're I guess what you're asking is like, who's going to succeed? I guess the, the players, they, they actually have a huge advantage, right? They have a huge, huge advantage. Like Blockbuster had a huge, huge advantage, right? Like if they wanted to get into streaming video, uh, on-demand streaming video, they, they would have been number one. But Blockbuster decided, no, why would people want to watch videos from the comfort of their own home? They'd rather obviously go to the local blockbuster 
rent out a video and then pay fines for being late when they get to bring it back, you know? It's just like, of course, like, you know, seriously, no, people, they, people really thought like this. You know what's you know, mad but, funny? And the, the funniest, the funniest part about that whole, that whole scenario is that look at this, uh, COVID, like this whole pandemic period. Why would anybody want to watch a, a major motion picture film from the comfort of their home on their nice, happy, big screen TV and surround sound system when they could go pay up to $30 to go see No Time to Cap, you know, <laughs> or No Time to Die yeah. at yeah, so Dolby Atmos. <laughs> exactly so Sorry, it's really up wrong. to you yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's really up to you guys you know it's really up to the audience like what they want but at the end of the day i think people are going to start to realize that their data is valuable that they can get compensated for their data they can get compensated for their simply their usage right not even their data necessarily just like by using certain services by using um uh web3 video services uh, akin to youtube or um, ser of gaming services such as uh, Valve, right? You can get compensated. And like, that makes you want to use the service more versus, you know, you, you typically these services, the Web2 services you pay for and then you don't get compensated or you kind of get, um, ex not extorted, but you, you know, you get, you get your information used and your data um, unbeknownst to you or, you know, you, you kind of sign away, you know, your privacy because that's how these, that's how a lot of, um, a lot of these companies, especially companies like Facebook, where the services themselves are free, mm -hmm. you know, if if, if uh, you don't know what the product is, typically you are the product, right? And on Facebook, you are definitely the product, right? And your 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 buying behavior, your pat your your uh, you know patterns, uh, psychology patterns, all that stuff is used. Everything, even stuff that you might not think is useful, they they record that stuff, they record that information, they use that data, and then they sell it to people who are willing to pay for it, and. And, you know, people are like, oh, who are these big evil people? You know, it's, it's not really, it's not really, um, it's not really, you know, giant conglomerates that are buying and selling your data. It's actually users like me and you who might have a, a business mm -hmm. and who are, you know, a little bit more um, entrepreneurial. You can use that data. Facebook gives you access to this data and you can selectively target your audience, right? So the data itself is useful, but it's just a matter of like, hey, who's getting compensated for it? I've never, I never agreed to this, right? Well, technically, you did in the U yeah. You read the terms and conservatives. Let's say yeah, technically like, you did, but no. at the end of the day, let, let's say you had the option, right? You had the option, either to be completely private because some people are completely private individuals, or you decide, hey, you know, I might as well get compensated if I'm gonna fuck, you know, if I'm gonna, you know, participate in this in in this in this uh, economy. So you know, you have options here, and I think the the privacy option and the non censorship option is huge. So there's. There's very fundamental reasons why Web 3.0 is superior. One being no censorship, right? So the Donald, the Donald Trumps and the, the, um, the Taliban's of the world can coexist on a platform and share their dissenting opinions. This is important, guys. Like, you know, I'm using extreme examples, but it's important to have dissenting opinions in the same room. You know, otherwise, again, we, we, we fall victim to echo chambers. You just homogenize the narrative. Right, exactly. You, 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 don't, get a, you don't get a comp comprehensive picture of what's going on in the world and then the other one is hey i want to make money on my data and then the other one is hey i want complete privacy right those are just three that i can think of off the top of my head that are super super useful or super important in web3 i mean what do you what do you think chris no i i completely agree with your uh, perspective on this and i think we took a very good deep dive into the nature of how web 3.0 can really serve and 
where it serves the public. I'm right now wondering, I'm thinking right now, I was, I was actually thinking something stupid, honest to God. I was thinking like, uh, are there any projects right now working on like messaging in web 3.0? But then I've realized things like telegram and signal exist where it's just like another perfect example of how web 3.0 could serve is just anonymity or just more security over like how information is traveled. But obviously that comes with a catch 22, which is, well, what do you sacrifice privacy for security? You know? Or just like yeah. the ability to act. I mean, there are always downfalls and upsides, and we always encourage everybody to you know do their own research. But this is our opinions on this, and I, I heavily look forward to how Web three point is going to influence. Because honest to God, this is people think this is the future. This is really three to six years in your lifetime. You know? Like, yeah, I'm I'm putting I'm putting a hard timeline on this right now. Five years and then ten years for mass adopt mass adopt adoption jesus christ mass <laughs> adoption but five years it becomes um it becomes a uh, t- uh dot-com bubble type thing right the tech bubble yeah where it's like everyone's fomoing in i mean everybody fomoed in at, at the ico stage in 2017 and now everybody's fomoing in at the nft right. which will right. which we will cover at some point we have to cover yeah we yeah, have yeah. To cover this that. is more of an elongated cycle because now you you pete you know pete People, you, you can't call BTC or you can't call Bitcoin a, a tulip anymore, right? Those people are have left the room. Now, you know, maybe there's some people who are trying to save face at this point and saying stuff like, oh, um, you know, it, it, it's not going to be worth anything or it's like maybe it's digital gold or something like that. They, they still miss the point. But I think the, the Bitcoin has been validated without... Without a shred of a doubt, you know. I mean, like let's so, let's let's be honest right now. Like four years ago, the market cap was only at three hundred billion dollars. Today, it exists at two point eight trillion dollars. The global debt or the American debt right now is at like seventeen trillion dollars. I would safely say that three trillion dollars is enough to rival more than half the economies on planet Earth. So if it's if if you tell me that this isn't here. I'm going to point to the $2.8 trillion number and tell you otherwise. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I definitely think that th- th- there's just like so, so much room in this. Uh, it, we're basically recreating the internet the way it was supposed to be created. Hey, um, the, original, inception. the original creators have gotten together and said this was supposed to be how it was. And now we're actually getting to it. So, you know, the future is tentatively bright, in my opinion. But right. once again, everybody, thank you for participating. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us. You can always follow us wherever you follow us. Spotify, Anchor, Apple Music. We're always available for uh, you. Google Podcasts. We have, we have a ton of, yeah, we have a ton of stuff. Uh, and, honestly, we should probably do an intro for this. Oh, 100%. Because this is, the, this is the, our first podcast in a while. So Yeah. But uh, thank you once again for tuning back in. We're going to be in the room for a very long time. Keep it locked. Peace out. And cut. And this was the Web 3.0 episode of Block Party. This episode was brought to you by Z Gabor and myself, Chris Wong. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at It's Me Chris Wong and at Z Trapamoto. We had a lot of fun putting together this episode and keeping it spontaneous and lighthearted while still being dedicated to the knowledge. We will be trying out a bunch of formats and changing the structure as we continue to bring you more episodes. Make sure to like and follow us on Apple Music, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and give us all the feedback and any news you'd like us to check out. 
I look forward to seeing you on the next one. Peace.